Well, hey, listen, I'm going to jump into God's word this morning and uh, take some time to just unpack actually the passage of scripture that Jeff, I didn't know he was using that passage uh, for communion out of Philippians chapter two. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn over there. We're going to do uh, take a look at that passage of scripture and unpack that this morning as we kind of continue in our series, uh, this idea of following the way of Jesus. And uh, how many of you know getting, getting life right is difficult? Right? <laughs> uh, I started, I know Aaron did such a great job kicking off this series two weeks ago here, and uh, I was out in Sandy, and uh, I got to preach his notes out there in Sandy, and I, I showed a few pictures of, um, you know, people who were really having a hard time getting life right. You know, like the person who, like, has the Roomba, but also has a dog, and the dog, you, yeah, you know where that went, don't you? Um, but anyway, uh, getting life right is hard, and the question that we're really asking in this series is, who are you trusting to guide you through life, right? Who are you trusting to help you get through life, to guide you through life, to help you get where you need to go, and to help you to figure out how to live life well, how to live life right? Uh, how many moms and dads do we have in the room? And man, you just, man, I wanna live life right for my kids, right? I wanna do the best that I can, you know? And I've reached that stage in my life where I'm looking back on my life now, and uh, my kids are, you know, mostly in their 20s and, and late, late teens, and so looking back and going, man, I sure hope I did a good job. Anybody else in that category? <laughs> you know, I'm sure hope I did a good job, right? And so we're really exploring what does it mean uh, to live life right? Like how do we, who's guiding us through this idea of life, you know? And uh, my wife and I were in uh, San Diego this week. And in San Diego, they have, it's amazing. Because if you've spent your whole life in Oregon, you don't realize these things exist. Uh, number one, sunshine in March. Number one. Number two was eight lanes on a freeway. It's amazing. Like traffic just kind of keeps moving. But the problem with that is we were like 45 minutes outside of San Diego. So we were always kind of driving in and out of San Diego and all this kind of stuff. And I was super grateful for the fact that we had a GPS. Are there any other married couples in the room that are happy that you have a GPS? I swear, GPSs have saved a lot of marriages in America. They certainly saved ours. And, uh, and so realizing that in life, man, we need a GPS. We need someone that will guide us through life. Now, many of you probably know, I like to hike. Uh, I like to bike. I like to, so most Saturdays, I'm out doing something. It's kind of my, uh, uh, I have a friend, actually. His name's Ben Ivan, and this is a picture of Ben Ivan. Uh, ben is my hiking buddy, and we've been hiking together for about four years. And uh, every Saturday morning, we get up, and we, we hike somewhere. We've actually been biking a little bit more recently. That's only because we're all getting older and our knees are getting more sore. <laughs> so, but this is up on Mount Hood. I think this is called Cathedral Ridge. And it happened to be his birthday. We weren't trying to start a forest fire. Um, but, uh, but Ben and I have been hiking together for over four years. And uh, every Saturday, I go, drive over to his house in Troutdale. And I kind of go, Ben, where are we going to go hiking today? And Ben is kind of like my guide, you know? And so Ben... I get in this forerunner, and we go out into the gorge, we go up onto Mount Hood, we go somewhere, and we're going to spend most of Saturday somewhere out of the city, just hiking, kind of getting lost. But one of Ben's favorite statements is this, I'm pretty sure this is the way. <laughs> I have entrusted my life to this guy for the last four years, and I'm pretty sure he knows the way. You know, uh, and about a year or so ago, we were, we were, I got in his car, it was Saturday morning, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning, and I get in the car and I sit in the passenger seat and I look over and he's wearing glasses. And I go, dude, what's with the glasses? He's like, 
man, I've needed glasses for about two years. I haven't been able to see the road signs. And I'm like, I have been entrusting my life to you for like two years, you know? And so isn't it true that we want to have the best guide that we can through life? And really, that's what this series is about. It's about us getting to know the way of Jesus. You see, so many people believe, and and this is unfortunate. In fact, Dallas Willard said it this way. He says, many believe that you don't have to be, uh, be a life student of Jesus to be a Christian. In other words, it's okay just to believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But here's the problem with that. So does the devil. This is what the Bible teaches us. And so we want to move beyond believism. We want to, as followers of Jesus Christ, exactly that. We want to follow Jesus. We don't want to be those who just believe in Jesus and hope that my belief in him will get me somewhere. No, no, no. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are actually called to put feet to our faith and actually follow after Jesus. And so what this series is really about is how do we live this transformed life Because when I give my life to Jesus, I'm giving myself not just to believe a set of principles or believe in a person, I'm actually giving all of who I am over to who he is so that I might become more like him. In fact, this is what it actually says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus' own words. He says this, a disciple, and that's really who we are. We're not Christians, not just followers of Jesus, we're disciples, And a disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone, uh, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that's our goal. Our goal in following Jesus is that we learn to live the life that Jesus lived here on earth. It's the kingdom of God here now kind of stuff. We want to emulate, imitate, reflect Jesus, not just in our beliefs, but in how we practically live out life. And so what we're doing is we're taking each week, we're taking just kind of a a different aspect of Jesus and just exploring it a little bit and asking ourselves the question, how can I become more like Jesus in that regard? And, and, you know, the disciples, um, I love the disciples because Jesus, I think Jesus picked the disciples to encourage us. I mean, when you actually look at the disciples, you know, the disciples are chopping off ears, pushing away children, like they don't believe Jesus. Like they, they watched him do all this stuff and they still don't really get who Jesus is. In fact, following Jesus for the disciples, they just made a whole bunch of mistakes. They got so many of those things wrong because oftentimes in their Greco-Roman mindset, they were trying to use Jesus or the benefits of Jesus to live the kind of life that they wanted to live, not the kind of life that Jesus wanted them to live. In fact, I think it shows up really well in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35 through 44. And what happens here is that in Mark chapter 10, Jesus um, has literally been just conversing with the rich young ruler. So here's this rich young ruler, all right? Somebody that probably looked like Nick Kirkwood. That good looking, he's right over here. You know, he's tall, dark, and handsome. We understand what Sarah saw in, in Nick, you know? And so here's Jesus. He's talking to this rich young ruler. He's rich. He's young, and he has a lot of influence, right? I mean, life seems to be going pretty well with him. And Jesus says, listen, I want you, no one's good but God, and so you need to trust him, number one. Number two, I want you to sell everything and follow me. I want you to give up all of the stuff in life that you might put your trust in, 
and I want you to follow him, me. And well, we know what happens, don't we? Jesus, the rich young ruler turns around and walks away from Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't chase after him. It's a choice that this rich young ruler made. But in that context, the disciples have just watched this conversation take place between the rich young ruler and Jesus. And two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, come to Jesus with a question. And this is what they said. The audacity of asking Jesus this question. I want to see if you would imagine yourself asking Jesus. He says, teacher, verse 35, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Come on, some of you have prayed that prayer, haven't you? It doesn't quite go like that. It's not like, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I ask of you, you know, as if Jesus doesn't know what we're going to ask him, right? But, but most often, we tend to go this way, Jesus, I will if you will. And we try to bargain with Jesus, don't we? And so what happens in this story is that James and John, they said, listen, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, okay? Genie in a bottle, Jesus. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you're, we're asking of you, Jesus. And then he says this, grant us to sit at your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. In other words, what these disciples are asking of Jesus, what they're trying to use Jesus for is a platform, a place of honor, a place of dignity, a place of like, you know, we're going to get the glory with you, Jesus. And what's so interesting is that what they're doing is they're trying to use Jesus for something that's going on in their own heart. He goes on and what happens, verse 38, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized? Listen to the audacity of these guys. Absolutely. <laughs> They're hilarious. I'm so encouraged right now. If Jesus could love James and John, he could love me, right? And he, and he goes on, he says, and Jesus goes on, he says, listen, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And so the question that I think that all of us are maybe asking or should be asking is what kind of life is Jesus inviting us into? Is it a life of privilege, free of pain? Is it a life of everything's just going to get better and better and better? Or is it a life that's marked and shaped by the cross? Look what it says in Philippians chapter 1. So before we dive into chapter 2, Peter, or Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, the life that you live ought to be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this idea in the Greek of the manner of life has with it the idea of citizenship. And, and Paul is setting something up that we're going to discover in chapter 2, but what he's beginning to address with the readers who would have been immersed in a Greco-Roman mindset, right, where it would have been kind of about progress and getting better and advancing. And if you know the, the Greek culture and then followed by the Roman culture, you know that that's what was taking place in their culture, that it was an ever-expanding kingdom getting better and better, more powerful and more powerful. And so in the mindset of every person in that culture would have been that me, myself, and I, I'm going to get better. I'm going to progress. I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that life turns out the way I want life to turn out. And on the surface, that kind of sounds kind of okay, right? Like, why wouldn't we want to get better? Why wouldn't we want things to get better? Why wouldn't we want to progress? 
But the question that I want to ask us this morning is, is your and my life being shaped by the cross? It's this idea of allegiance. Now, I have a picture uh, in 2009. Nope, not not on the picture of me uh, becoming a citizen. Because in 2009, uh, I became a citizen of, um, nope, that's, that's the one, the one of the newspaper. Yes, this was July 4th. North Korea lobs July 4th rockets, apparently. Uh, <clears throat> nothing's changed. It's just different countries now. Um, and so uh, this was July 4th, to, uh, 2009. Uh, that's when I became a U.S. citizen. So if you know, I was born in Ireland. I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. So I actually had to study and do a test. I got all the questions right. You'll be proud uh, to know um, because I, my, anyway, I didn't want to fail my kids. Um, and uh, as you can tell, uh, I ended up on the front page actually of a few, go, go ahead and show that picture. At least the back of my head ended up. I was actually on the front of a few newspapers. America was really excited to have me as a citizen. That's all I can say. That's actually Madeline, um, and she kind of stole the show. She was cute. So I actually became a citizen, a swearing-in ceremony on the battlefield in Saratoga. And we're on the West Coast, so we maybe don't fully understand. But that was like in the, in the this, not the Civil War, the Re- Revolutionary War. That was one of the major battles that took place. So I'm on this battlefield, and there's this like senator, and we had to raise our right hand, and we had to pledge allegiance, and we had to disavow any other allegiances that we had to any other countries. Now, I did have my fingers crossed behind my back. So I'm both an American and an Irish citizen at this point. Um, And so, but what was interesting about that is that there's an allegiance that we swear. There's a devotion. There's a commitment that we make. And this is exactly what Paul was writing about when he writes this letter to the Philippians. Because they had their culture and these, these Christians would have had an allegiance to Caesar or an allegiance to a religion. Their Greco-Roman mindset would have, uh, and, and by force of just kind of culture and where they live, the pressure of them to conform and to be allegiant to, loyal to that particular culture. And what Peter or Paul is writing about here in Philippians is this idea of citizenship that your allegiance is no longer to Caesar. Your allegiance is no longer to the culture of the day. Your allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And when your allegiance, just like when I became a citizen of America, it's not just that I have an allegiance now to the United States of America. I actually have rights and responsibilities. That my life ought to reflect the values of that country, which I'm now Allegiant to, and this is what was taking place when I went through that citizenship ceremony. Well, in the same way, we are citizens of heaven. And so when he says that your manner of life ought to be worthy of the gospel, what, is, what he's saying is that you and I, as citizens of the kingdom of God, ought to live a life, ought to, uh, it ought to be expressed through our life, that which is worthy of the gospel. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into as followers of Jesus. He's inviting us into the cross-shaped life. Now, doesn't that sound like fun? Really, Gareth, are we going to talk? I mean, it's spring break. We're going to talk about cross-shaped life today? Yeah. And, uh, and I want to just unpack something because P- Paul in Philippians chapter 2 is comparing two ways of life. 
And the first way of life that he kind of sets up and, and it was kind of germane to that day was what I'm gonna call the A-shaped life. And, and, and this idea, and you can see from this, that, that this idea, it's a life of ascent, right? It's individual mindset and desires, personal goals, ambitions, right? I'm driven, uh, and look at my life. Look at how good life has turned out for me. And the challenge with the A-shaped life is that, that what, we, what we're trying to do is make self better apart from God. It's this idea that I'm gonna try in my own strength to live out and produce the kind of life that I think I deserve. Um, to quote Tom and Donna from Parks and Rec, treat yourself. Some of you know what I'm talking about and some of you ought to go find that and watch it. <laughs> it's, Parks and Rec is a great show. And it's this idea that what Paul was dealing with here was that as kingdom citizens, we're not about living life for self. We're about living life for Jesus. And what we discover is that we, as we live our life for Jesus, we find not just our truest self, we actually find our deepest satisfaction. And so we have a choice. We could live this A-shaped life where it's about me, myself, and I. It's about treat yourself, right? And look, can I just be honest? Every morning I wake up, this is the kind of life that I want to live, right? Like when my feet hit the ground in the morning, I want to live kind of this idea of pursuing my own personal desires, my goals, my plans, my ambitions, right? I want, that's the life that I want. I want to be Tom and Donna every day and just treat myself. You know, it's so funny. This is terrible for me to confess in church, but I, I'm going to anyway because you need to be honest in church, right? And if the pastor's not going to be honest, right, nobody else is going to be honest, so I'm going to be honest, we went away this week, and I can't tell you how much time I spent on my phone on Amazon or Nike dreaming about stuff that I'd like to have for myself. <laughs> it's the world in which we live. It's the A-shaped life. And the pinnacle is if I could just buy that, if I could just have that, if this would just be this way, if I could pursue these things, I would get to the pinnacle of life, and life would just be the way it's meant to be. Here's the problem. I feel like at times in my life I've gotten there, and when I get there, it never satisfies. Anybody else ever been there? That we chase after these things. We chase after not just things. We chase after kind of ideas of happiness, and we chase after kind of dreams. We chase after our own personal desires and ambitions, and when we get there, it satisfies for a minute, and then it seems to just flutter away. Anybody ever got a new iPhone? You know, you wanted that thing for so long, didn't you? And then give it about a week, and it's just another phone. That's, that's the A-shaped life. But Paul is contrasting this life with another life. And, and this is what he says. And we're going to read this passage together out of Philippians chapter 2, a couple of verses. And it says this in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ. By the way, is there any encouragement in Christ? How many of you know that's a rhetorical question, right? Like Paul, Paul's not writing to go, you know, if there's any encouragement in Christ. No, 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 there's encouragement in Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. He goes on in verse three and he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, look at me. He says, but in humility. 
And if you circle in your Bible, that's the pivotal phrase because he compares this life and then he says, but, but in humility, and then he's gonna make some statements. So this idea of in humility is going to give us a key to how we ought to live our life. But he says this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And what Paul is doing in this passage is he's comparing the A-shaped life with the V-shaped life. And this is what, if you look at this, the V-shaped life is a life of descent. Participation in the Spirit, in verse 1. Look, have unity of mind and love. Operate in humility. Count others more important than yourselves. Looking to the interest of others. Why? So that you can have the mind of Christ. This is the lifestyle that Jesus is inviting us into. In fact, it says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said, this is Jesus once again, he says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And what Jesus is communicating to us in this passage, what Paul picks up on in Philippians chapter two, the invitation into the cross-shaped life is an invitation into a life of not self-gratification or self-fulfillment, it's an invitation into a life of self-denial. In fact, the grace, and, and Dallas Willard said this, that the gospel of extravagant grace that costs us nothing leads us to a life that costs us everything. And it's worth giving up for Jesus. And I'm just in worship this morning. And we're singing that song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I'm moved to tears and I'm on my face before God because the invitation that God's given to every single one of us is to follow him. He is the pearl of great price. He's the one that's worth giving up everything else for to chase after him. And this is what Jesus says when he says, to deny yourself. I don't lose everything, anything. In fact, Paul said it this way. He says, I consider all that I've experienced, all of this life, garbage. And in the Greek, the word that's used there is a whole lot stronger than garbage. And he goes on and he says, it's all garbage. What? For the sake of knowing Jesus. And this is what Jesus has invited us into. That this gospel of extravagant grace that cost us nothing. And if I can be honest with you, one of my concerns for the church in America is that we have cheapened the grace of Jesus Christ. That somehow says, if I just believe Jesus, everything's going to be okay and I'll just get to be with heaven. And it doesn't demand anything off of us. But the hard, cold facts of Christianity and the reality of the faith that you and I live out as disciples of Jesus Christ is that the grace that we've so freely received from Jesus Christ ought to generate in us a heart that says, Lord, I'm willing to give up everything for the sake of following you. Why? Because Jesus, you 
are the pearl of great price. You're the one that's worth selling the field or selling all my possessions so that I might just own that field where you abide and where you reside. This is the life that Jesus has invited us into. And while it feels like maybe, well, Gareth, are you talking about like a life of loss, a life of sacrifice, a life of denial? I'm saying, yeah, about things that really don't matter when all is said and done. But what I gain as a result of all of that is incomparable to anything that this world could offer me. And so Jesus is inviting us into this idea of the V-shaped life. And the question that I have for every single one of us in the room this morning is, which life are you choosing? Which life would you encourage your kids to choose? Which life would you follow? Which life would you encourage and cheer on your kids to follow? Is it the A-shaped life shaped by a life of ascent, shaped by I'm going to get better, things are going to get progress, I'm going to become everything that I'm supposed to become, kind of the Nike spirit of our day, just go do it? Or am I willing to live the V-shaped life? A life that is built not in pride, but in humility, a life that is shaped by the cross and a life that leads me to have the mind of Jesus for myself, for my wife, for my kids, for my neighbors, for my church family, for the world in which we live. Do we consider others more important than ourselves? And that really is the fundamental question when we think about Jesus. And I know this might feel a little uncomfortable, but Jesus had a habit of making people feel uncomfortable. Why? Because Jesus said, there's a way that seems right to man. But let me be the way, the truth, and the life that leads you to the life that you were designed for, not the life that you hope you might have someday. And so Jesus is asking every single one of us, will you choose the A-shaped life or will you choose the V-shaped life? And how many of you know sometimes life, we don't sometimes get that choice? That sometimes life leads us to places where, man, it's humbling, where we're wholly and completely dependent upon Jesus, that I don't have what it takes. Oh, that we would just live that way, right? I wish I could just get up every morning and just be kind of, yeah, I'm living this way. You know, I'm going to live fully trusting and depending on Jesus, right? And I try my best. But uh, I fail so often, right? But have you ever been in a season of your life where it's like the, the Lord allows circumstances to bring you to a place where you're just humble and truly dependent upon him? They're not comfortable seasons. But I'm telling you, when you go through those seasons, something gets built into you that produces a change in our hearts that leads us to more fully love and be more fully devoted to Jesus. And uh, this happened for, for Jenny and I. We were... Um, Aiden was one year old, so this is now almost 22 years ago at this point, and I, I think I have a little picture of him. Um, that's me without a beard, looking a lot younger, and uh, that's Aiden. Um, he'll be, wasn't he a cute kid? He's a cute kid, you know, um, <clears throat> but this was uh, when he was one years old, and uh, during that time, in fact, it was, uh, we were approaching his birthday uh, party, and uh, man, he'd been running 105 fever for about four days, and uh, we ended up like bundling him in the car, getting him to the doctor. Uh, and it's one of those com comedic error, you know, comedy of errors, you know, like it just never stops kind of thing. So we rush him to the doctor. We park the car outside of the doctor's office. Um, we're up, he, you know, meeting with the doctor. 
Uh, the doctor checks him, says, you gotta get him over to the ER immediately. So we go downstairs to get him in the car and the car's gone because it's been towed. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so anyway, we get him over to the emergency room, they check him in and he ends up being in, in uh, uh, not intensive care, I can't remember, but anyway, it was a pretty serious thing for about five days. And, uh, and I remember as a dad, you ever been there where you wish you could put yourself in somebody else's shoes? In this case, Lord, I trade everything that I have for my, to be where my son is and for my son to be where I'm at right now. And, and the point that I'm simply trying to make is that sometimes life is challenging and brings us to those places. They're not easy to go through, but in the midst of it, what the Lord is doing is using those opportunities. How many of you know the Lord works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? He takes us through valleys sometimes because he's working something into us. And what he was working into me in that moment was a life of humility and a life of dependence upon him because there was nothing that I could do in and of myself. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to. Jesus invites us to the cross-shaped life and the cross-shaped life looks like one that's built on, and this is just one of those favorite words that we love to use, humility. And so I want to spend the next 10 minutes talking to you about humility and how I achieved it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but look what Jesus says. Or look what Paul says as a follow-up to these verses. Because Paul's writing and he's saying, I'm inviting you into the V-shaped life. And the V-shaped life is one of humility. It's one that considers others more important than self. It's the one that lays down life for the life of others, right? Like it has the mind of Christ. This is what Jesus invites us into. And then look what he says next in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. And uh, Jeff's already read this this morning. But he says this, have this mind among yourselves. What mind? Well, the mind that he just talked about. The mind of humility, the mind of laying down your life for others, the, the, the mind of self-denial, the mind of uh, the, the life that's shaped and looks like the cross. Have this mind among you. And then look at this, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're not going to get there in your own strength. You're not going to be able to do this in your own ability. The invitation into the V-shaped life is an invitation to have the mind of Christ, to be humble, to believe and recognize that you can only do it in Jesus Christ. That's really good news. That's actually the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel isn't just that I'm getting saved or I'm saved because of the work of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that my very life is empowered by the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And because I'm in Jesus, I get the power to live that kind of a life. And so he says, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, something. So Jesus is God, right? He's the second person of the Trinity. He's, you know, he's reigning and ruling in heaven. And he doesn't consider, he humbles himself. He leaves the majesty of heaven, right? And he doesn't consider, hey, hey guys, um, I'm God. Like it's not something to be grasped, not something to be strained after, not something to be held onto. And he goes on and he says, but he emptied himself. By taking on the form of one being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was highly exalted in him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And, And what was actually happening in this passage of Scripture is that this was actually a song that the early Christians and the Christians in Philippi would have been actually singing These words about who Jesus is and who Jesus had become for them was a song that they would sing. And so Paul takes this song and codifies it into the canon of Scripture because he says, I don't want any Christian to ever forget the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, left the majesty of heaven, humbled himself, taking on the form of man, would live as we live here on earth without sin, and would eventually give himself for us. And so this song would be sung over and over again. And what we recognize is that what we're seeing in these verses is that it's not just saying that you and I ought to be humble. It's actually saying that God is humble. Think about that for a minute. What Paul is saying to the church in Philippi and what Philippians is saying to you and I is that the call to the Christian life isn't just for you and I to be humble. It's to recognize that God is is humble. How many of you would be honest enough to say, that's kind of stripping gears in my mind right now. God is humble? Well, when you look at Jesus coming to reintroduce humanity to who God is, Jesus doesn't throw his weight around. But what we see is Jesus humbling himself so that he can come to us. He comes to us in our weakness. He chases after us. And in Christ, what we see is God is humble even to the point of death. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, this invitation to deny yourself, this invitation to be a disciple who is fully trained to become like his teacher is an invitation into a lifestyle of humility. Now, we've so often misunderstood because the world has taught us that, you know, in many respects, humility is um, kind of like being a doormat, right? In fact, it was the same. In fact, in the Greco-Roman mind, the idea of humility wasn't even something that existed. The word for humility didn't exist. It was coined in in, in the New Testament here because what Paul is introducing them to is he's introducing them into a lifestyle not of get better through self-effort, but he's introducing them into a lifestyle of humility. I love this quote from uh, John Dixon, and I encourage you to read this book. It's a, a book called Humilitas. And he said this, humility isn't surrendering our convictions, strengths, and achievements. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. It's a willingness to hold power in service of others. I love that definition. See, what Jesus and what Paul was inviting us into when we said that we were to be, or but in humility. In other words, this is how we ought to live our life. And so what he's inviting us into is not to give up our convictions. He's not inviting us to give up our strengths and give up influence and all of those kinds of things. It's all about what you choose to do with those influences and strengths that you have. In fact, if I could, if I could say it this way, um, it really is this idea of strength under control. And what Jesus is inviting us into is into a lifestyle of humility. As we close this morning, I want to give us just three really quick thoughts about humility. And the first thing is this. Humility 
presupposes your dignity. See, humility is not about how I think about myself. Humility is about how I use whatever I have to love and serve other people. And so the first thing that humility has to presuppose is the fact that you, you have dignity. Look, look what it says in Philippians chapter two. We just read this verse, but it's so interesting. It says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of being born in the likeness of men. In other words, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew he was the son of God, but he didn't have to walk around telling everybody, I'm the son of God, worship me, look at me, do, Right? And what I'm, the point that I'm simply trying to make and what we're learning from the example of Jesus is that humility presupposes your dignity. In other words, you're created in the image of God, right? That this is who you are. The most, the most important thing that you've got to know about yourself is that you are created in the image of God. You ever been around, um, you know, it's the, it's the challenge of somebody, you know, who maybe doesn't understand who they truly are. And if you're not you know, not maybe fully aware of who you truly are in Jesus, you can tend to operate out of a place of pride or a place of insecurity. But what Jesus is trying to help us understand and what Paul is trying to help us understand in this passage is that humility presupposes your dignity by understanding and recognizing that you are in Christ. You are created in the image of God. And there's many of us in this room, and I'm gonna include myself in this, that, that people have said things about you or maybe it was even parents in your life that have shaped who you have become and somehow you're feeling like, I've got you know, to be this kind of person, right? All based on the words of someone else's that spoke over you. And we've got to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. You're adopted into the family of God. You want to know who you are? with all of your faults and all of your warts and all of your weaknesses, you're still a child of God. And I love the fact that God couldn't love me any more than he loves me right now because God loved me when I was at my worst. And there's so many of us that are living a kind of life that is kind of like, well, if I can just make myself a little better, then maybe God will love me. That's a lie from the enemy because God couldn't love you any more than he already does. And we've got to learn to live from that place of security. You know, it's like Paul, you know, in that, in that passage, Paul says, is there any encouragement in belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in his spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Well, the, the answer to the question is yes, 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 yes. That if we truly understand who we are in Christ, it changes how we see ourselves and it changes how we live our life towards other people. I don't have to puff up my chest and kind of, you know, tell you about, you know, by the way, can I say this? Um, um, I was at a pastor's conference recently, and that's like the worst place. Because the first person, the first question everybody else, everybody asks is, well, uh, how's, uh, how's church going? Oh, well, church, let me tell you. You know, we've grown this much. We have this many small groups, right? And it's all like for a sudden, like pastors are the worst at this stuff because their identity can be in their church or in their ministry or in their success. And after 25 years of doing this, what I've realized is that where one day you might have some success, the next day there's going to be some sort of failure, right? That it's the ups and downs of life. Well, the same is true for you as well. And I'm asking you, 
And what Paul is trying to help us understand is that because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you've been born into the family of God, you've been adopted, you've been given the family name, your identity is secure in Jesus Christ. And because it is, you get to live a life of humility. You get to use whatever God has given you, whatever strength, whatever resource, whatever confidence, whatever power, whatever influence he's given you, you get to use that not for self, but you get to use that to glorify God and for the sake of other people. And so humility, first and foremost, presupposes identity. The second thing is this, humility presupposes willingness. It says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. That's a choice that Jesus made, isn't it? Remember Jesus in the garden, and he's praying, and it says that, in, that the prayer is so intense that he's sweating drops of blood. I mean, he's pouring himself out to his father, and he makes this statement. He says, if there's any other way, he sees the cross, he sees what's coming, and he says, if there's any other way, God, but not my will, your will be done. There's a willingness when it comes to humility. Otherwise, it's just humiliation, right? You ever been kind of working with one of your kids, you know, and they're like, okay, dad, I'll obey you, you know, and it's like, you know, they're sitting down, but on the inside, they're standing up. Well, humility doesn't operate that way. Humility recognizes because of who I am in Jesus and because of all that I've gained in Jesus Christ, I can be someone that can willingly give my life to other people. And we, we ought to be those who willingly lay down our lives for others. We ought to be those who forego our rights to follow the example of Jesus through surrender. And in humility, we ought to consider others more important than ourselves. This is the life that Jesus modeled for us and invites us into. And the last thing is simply this, that humility is relational and it produces generosity, right? Humility is not more about how I, not, is more about how I treat others than how I think about myself. Isn't that what we see in the life of Jesus? That Jesus for the joy set before him. What? The joy of what? Like, no, 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 there's something beyond the cross. There's something beyond the cross. And Jesus sees something beyond the cross that's will, that makes him willing to lay down his life for other people and to do so in an unimagin- with unimaginable generosity. And this is the life that Jesus has invited you and I into. You know, earlier in the sermon, we talked about James and John. And remember the story James said, you know, James and John were like, hey, will you do this for us? Let one of us sit on your right hand. Let one of us sit on your other hand, your left hand. Like we want to we wanna be in the place of honor. We want to be in the place of glory. We want to be in the place of, you know, have that platform, right? Jesus, this is what you're after, right? And Jesus said, he says, no, 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 the cup that I'm about to drink, you're not going to be able to drink of, right? No, no, the baptism I'm going to be baptized with, man, you've no idea what you're, what you're asking because it has to go through the cross. There's one other time in the Bible when there's a person to the left and to the right of Jesus, and it's on the cross. And if you remember, there were two thieves, Jesus hanging on a cross, suffering a criminal's murder. And one of them reaches, one of them says to Jesus, says, Jesus, I know who you are. Will you remember me in paradise? 
And Jesus responds to the thief on the cross and he says, today, today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. The question that I wanna ask of you this morning is are you gonna choose to live the A-shaped life? A life that uses Jesus to benefit you. A life that uses Jesus to get the things that, you know, man, it'll be a better lifestyle. My kids will be raised in a good moral environment and, you know, things will be better. And are you using Jesus that way? Are you going to live the V-shaped life? The life that says, I'm willing to go through the cross. I'm willing to deny myself. I'm willing to live a life of humility because of who I am. Or maybe it's better if we say it this way, whose I am. I belong to Jesus. My life is no longer my own. And the life that I now live, I, li I live in Jesus for his glory and for the good of other people. The choice is yours. And so I want us just to close our eyes. And I want you just to do some business with Jesus. I don't, you know the choice. The life that goes through the cross, man, it might look like sacrifice, but I'll tell you what, what it produces. And just in this moment right now, maybe the Holy Spirit is, he's asking of you, hey, are you, are you gonna live the A-shaped life or are you gonna live the V-shaped life? Are you asking Jesus to, man, let me sit at your right hand, Lord. Come on, Lord, I wanna, I wanna be in that place of glory. I wanna progress, I wanna, are, are you willing to deny self, to pick up the cross? and live a life of humility. And so Lord, as we just take a moment just to let you speak to us. Lord, we know that the invitation is a costly invitation. There's a cost following you. It's not an easy thing. It's not a light thing, Lord. It's it's not a thing that we carry on our own. It's not a thing that we do in our own strength. Lord, it's something that you do. You carry us. You give us the strength. So Lord, I pray, lead us to make that decision. Lead us to live a life that looks like the cross.